Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really happy to welcome Laura Di Silverio to the podcast today. A retired Air Force intelligence officer, Laura is the national best-selling and award-winning author of 21 mystery, suspense, and young adult sci-fi novels. Her series include the Swift Investigations PI series from Minotaur, the Ballroom Dance series, which she wrote as Ella Barrick, the Southern Beauty Shop Mysteries, which she wrote as Lila Dare, the Mall Cup Mysteries and Book Club Mysteries, both of which are with Berkeley Prime Crime. Library Journal named her book Close Call one of the five best mysteries of 2016 and The Reckoning Stones, which came out in 2015, won the Colorado Book Award for Mystery. Incubation, the first of her young adult dystopian trilogies, an Amazon bestseller. A past president of Sisters in Crime, she speaks and teaches widely on writing craft, the publishing life, and intelligence analysis intelligence analysis. Let me try that again. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks so much, Julie. Me too. (laughs) Well, because we have a lot to talk about with your writing journey, which is so varied, and you've written in so many different um, uh, genres and in different formats and under different names, which is always interesting. But let's start at the very beginning. When did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer? I want to write a book. Um, I said that to myself, to the best of my recollection in college. That's where I wrote my first full-length manuscript. I wrote it as part of a creative writing class, uh, much to the dismay, I'm sure, of the other people in the class, all of whom had to read and critique it. So while they're writing six and 10 page short stories, I wrote a 300 some odd page (laughs) romance novel um, about a gemologist in Thailand. I don't even remember what I named it. You will be surprised to hear that it went nowhere in terms of the publishing world, but I loved writing it. And I said at that time that I want to be, I want to be a writer, but I wasn't brave enough coming out of college, um, nor did I have the funds to to try to do that right off the bat. So I ended up in the Air Force for 20 years before I was able to sit down and do it full time, although I did write several other manuscripts over the course of the time that I was in the Air Force. So the college manuscript was romance. Mm-hmm. What moved you towards crime, which is how I know you, but you've also written in other genres. So was it, you know, tell me about that journey. Well, they say, write what you know. So romance was out and crime was in. Uh, (laughs) I don't know, just, just changing tastes. Maybe I probably read a few more romances when I was in my late teens, early twenties, contemporary romances. I also wrote a Regency romance because Georgette Heyer is one of my all-time favorite authors to this yeah. day. Uh, but I began to read more and more mysteries, and I like the I like the puzzle of it. I'm one of those people who, you know, can't just sit through a movie or read a book without trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> it, it boggles my mind that when I look over at my husband and say, "Who do you think did it?" He'll say, "I don't know. I wasn't thinking about it." what you know <laughs> surely <laughs> surely everybody tries to figure these things out so i liked i liked the puzzle of it and it just it lent itself to the kinds of characters that i was interested in writing um something that could be more long term maybe than a than a single romance um and where the character could develop over the course of several books um character with flaws not that romance characters don't have flaws but you, you know what I mean. Maybe maybe yeah. something a little more um, substantive. So it just it just seemed to fit 
with what I was reading and what I was interested in by the time I was writing full time. So tell me about the journey of creating or, or developing your craft. Mm. You know, you wrote in college, you took creative writing classes, but you know, wh- how else did you sort of learn learn the mechanics of how to yeah. write a book? I, I took other classes once I had graduated from college and was in the Air Force. I took, you know, like seminars and workshops, not mm-hmm. college level classes. Um, I attended writers conferences where in addition to learning more about craft, I, I also learned very healthy amount about the business of publishing and writing because I, I knew all along I wanted to get published. You know, my writing was not for tucking into a, a hope chest somewhere or for leaving <laughs> for my family to read somewhere down the line. Um, so kind of all those methods, I joined a critique group um, Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers years ago was having a, uh, sessions online, where was matching people up so that you could critique online even if you didn't live in the same city or the same state. And I found the help of those, those people very useful as well. You um, have written in different genres, and you know, 21 books is a lot of books. What's your writing process like? Mm. Are you a plotter or well, the a writing, writing process has changed some. Um, when I first started out, I was an outliner. Um, and none of those books are published. I, I outlined pretty, pretty significantly. I mean, not on a Jeffrey Deaver 70 plus page level, but, uh, you know, eight, 10 pages of outline. Mm-hmm. And then one day... When I was writing uh, Swift Justice, the first in my Swift investigation series, I just had kind of an inciting incident in mind and a couple of characters. Um, I had a notion about what their conflict was. It's sort of a vague idea of a resolution somewhere down the road. And I just sat down and started typing. And it was all so much fresher and so much more lively and um, engaging. And that is, you know, the first to first manuscript I I wrote that sold. Um, So I stuck with that for a while, but I have, I have developed um, different processes for different books. Actually, when I do, you know, my standalones now frequently have multiple narrators and they might have um, multiple timelines going on. Those I, I now go back and outline a little bit, not, not rigidly, but mm-hmm. at least to figure out, you know, who's doing what when in the timelines and whose voice a particular chapter is going to be in, that sort of thing. So I consider myself really, if you talk about plotter versus pantser, which is sort of the language that people like to use, I'm, I'm kind of a hybrid at this point. And mm-hmm. I let my process change depending on what the current book needs. Well, and it's interesting because standalones and series also, you know, when you're writing a standalone, you're completely creating everything from scratch. And if you're working with different timelines and different um, points of view, then that is also more. Do you feel like over the course of your writing career, you you develop the chops to, to write a standalone or was that something that you needed to write for a while to do or how did you feel about tackling that? Uh, part of it was the chops probably. Part of it was I just like to mix things up. I always have. I mean that was my favorite part of being in the Air Force for 20 years was about the time I'd start getting bored with a job they'd send me somewhere else and I'd be doing right. something completely different. So I don't ever see myself deciding, ah, yes, this is the genre, this is the point of view for me, boom, that's all I'm doing from here on out. So um, are there people who think my writing is schizophrenic? Maybe. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to do what I think the characters of the storyline require, and and sometimes I try something new to challenge myself, um, or just because a story seems to require it. I, I do think writing in first person, there's a limit to the kinds of mistakes you can make. It's, mm-hmm. it's much harder to make point of view errors um, in first person. It's harder to make timeline errors 
in first person because you're marching along with this person the whole time. So in, in that sense, I think it's um, it can be comforting and I, I'll use the word training wheels. And I don't, I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory sense because the book I'm currently working on is written in first person. Um, but it's, it can help you if you're not worrying about point of view and timeline sort of things, then you can develop your, your way with dialogue and your, your setting and that sort of thing. And once you, some of that comes more naturally, um, maybe you want to break out and try something a little more adventurous with the point of view, mixing it up with different characters or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even having a couple, three or four characters narrate parts of the same scene. I mean, there's all obviously no end to what you could do, some of which will work and be publishable, some of which will work and not be publishable, and some <laughs> of which just will be a disaster. Um <laughs> But if you don't try it, you know, you'll never know. And if you don't, if you don't work at it, you certainly won't get better at it. So. I also am intrigued that you, you push the limits of genre for yourself. You explored new things. So you'd, you'd written a couple of mystery series and you wrote the dystopian YA, which is, you know, YA is different, dystopian, you know, what, what made you sort of think, or what idea came to you or what, how did the muse visit you and say, this is your next project, Laura? Well, I always have more ideas in my head that I can possibly ever sit down and write. So there's never, I'm never sitting around struggling for an idea. There's always 15 or 20 kind of bubbling up and down, um, you know, looking for attention. And I find myself when I, when I'm, getting closer to starting a new project, um, paying attention to what bubbles up more frequently. What do I find myself in my, my off hours thinking about? Do I, do I find myself thinking, oh, Everly would think X and such about this situation I'm observing? Um, or, or gosh, this other character um, could do this thing I'm watching and and it would be very funny. You know, are, are they are the characters coming into my mind at off hours? Um, and, and part of it with with the dystopian was that my daughters, both of whom were younger teens then, um, had been after me to write a YA book for a while. And I kept saying, well, you know, if 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 an idea comes, if an idea comes, I'm not going to write a YA book just to write a YA book. If an idea comes, and then an idea came, and so I just sat down and and started writing. It was always going to be a trilogy. Um, I just knew that there was no way I could do what I wanted to do in the confines of, of a single book. So always going to be a trilogy. Um, I wrote it in first person and present tense, which I had not done before. And found that that really added some immediacy to what was happening. Really enjoyed that challenge for a while too. Although I'll tell you, it is so easy just to drift back into past, simple past. And I'll be reading along, revising, you know, present tense, present tense, present tense, and then three paragraphs and past tense, and then whoop, back to present tense. And I hadn't even noticed while I was writing that I, that I had done that. So I had to be careful to go back and make sure I kept my tense, tense straight throughout. Uh, but just had a blast with that book. I'll tell you what, the, those books, that series. If I if I get another YA idea, I would not hesitate for one second to write that because it was just so fun. It was more an action adventure kind of thing. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Laura, I'd love to talk about your writing process. Uh, and and the fact that you write in so many different genres and and what that looks like and how that's morphed. I know we've talked about that a little bit, but I find it really fascinating that you write in so many different genres and you seem to just be embracing the possibilities of so many different things. Well, that's that's a lovely way to put it. I appreciate it. Um, another way to put it is I get bored easily, possibly. Um, no, I have... You know, obviously written the cozy mysteries. I've written the suspense thrillers, sort of crime fiction. 
I have my young adult dystopian trilogy, and more recently I've been uh, writing women's fiction. And it, it just grows out of, I think, places where I am in my life, different sorts of themes and topics that I want to deal with, maybe to some extent different audiences that I want to talk to. Um, the YA trilogy grew out of my daughter's poke, poke, poking at me to write something young adult. And I kept saying, oh, <laughs> you know, I can't just pull that out of a hat. If I have an idea, great, I'll write young adult. And if I don't, then I'm not going to. And then an idea came and and it just seemed that it ought to be written in present tense, which I had never tried before. So um, that was great, good fun. And it was more of an adventure story. Um, and of course, doing it over a trilogy was a new challenge as well. The story, you know, different parts of the story being wrapped up at the end of each book, but the whole story arc not being complete until the end of the third book. Um, each, each of the genres has brought their own challenges, and that kind of keeps the writing exciting and fresh and makes me eager to get to my computer in the mornings. And when you know you're writing a trilogy, uh, you, you know that you're writing a trilogy. When you're writing a series, you don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to get renewed or, you know, what's gonna, if, if it's traditionally published? If you're um, an indie author, you have a little bit more control. But did you, did you enjoy the, I know this is a trilogy, so I got a lot of words and I got a lot of space to tell this story. But it's also a finite amount of space. I did. You know, as, as you point out, the series, the, the mystery series, um, are more open-ended. So you're always trying to keep something in reserve to, to use in the next book. But the trilogy, I could just put it all out there. You know, the whole character arc, all the worst possible things that could happen, all the crises, uh, all the romance. Boom! I knew it all had to fit in that that three book arc and not get dribbled out over the course of what might be three books and what might be six or eight books if you're lucky. And and the other upside to the trilogy was um, I knew I was going to get to do it all. Whereas sometimes right. with a mystery series, when you're traditionally published, and this has happened to a couple of mine. It's three and out. So you're you're writing along like maybe you're going to be going for six or seven or eight and boom, your publisher lowers the hammer and you never get to to resolve some of the storylines, um, which is, you know, I'm you you probably know, you know, a little little frustrating for an author and sometimes for the readers too. I still get mail um, from, from readers about my mall cop series. Did she, did EJ pick Jay or did she pick Anders, you know, and, and was she with them all the whole time? Did she become chief of security? You know, everybody's just kind of left hanging. So it was very satisfying to know that you were going to come to an ending that, that fits your character story. I, and as you're developing or have an idea, do you immediately say to yourself, okay, I want to write a mystery right now, so your brain sorts through, or do you just come up with the idea and say, oh, this is this should be dystopian, or this should be cozy, or this should be uh, romantic suspense, or, or where? How does how do your ideas work? <laughs> it's more. I always have mystery ideas. I mean, my brain, my brain works. On puzzles, yeah. so so there are always mystery ideas I can I can go to, but um, sometimes I just get the feeling that I want to write something different. Like right now, you don't hold me to this, but right now I'm kind of flirting with some ideas for an urban fantasy. Um, Interesting. Uh, and and I know it's and so I'm working on that specifically. I just feel like being in that kind of world. And so then I sit down and I, I let it, you know, kind of ooze around my mind for a while and, and come front and center when I'm being quiet or out on a walk and start to develop a few characters. And maybe in this case, start to develop a, a magic system or, you know, various creatures or societal structures or whatever. Um, so it's very specifically an urban fantasy that I'm then 
peopling with with characters and coming up with a plot line. Um, that's kind of how my YA dystopian came to me. It started coming to me in visions as in visions. I mean, I don't mean that in any sort of mystic sort of way. Um, as as the world, you know, I started mm-hmm. seeing the world, and then what kind of an experience in this world would be interesting, or what what kind of characters would maybe struggle in this world and and be in conflict with some of its major elements because without conflict, there's not much in the way of story. So I'm always looking for um, a character that's going to be in conflict organically with, with the world. Um, So that, I guess, I hope that answers your question sort of, kind of. It It does. It's all sort of, woof. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm also fascinated because when you're talking about this urban fantasy and you're going to write that, suppose that's it, how long do you give yourself to work on this idea and gel and see where it's going before you say, I need to do something else? I'm, well, I'm working on something else. I'm usually actually writing something else while I'm working on the ideas for the next one. So I'll write in the morning um, on whatever is underway, you know, at the writing point. Mm-hmm. And I'll just kind of let the ideas percolate in the back of my mind. And I'll get to a point where I start to write some of those down, usually in a notebook, uh, with an actual pen or pencil. And, you know, start drawing my little circles and my little arrows, what connects to what, and having different pages for different characters or different plot ideas. Um, And then just eventually, I'll need to actually start writing before I can move forward. I need to see how the world comes together. Um, I need to see how my characters are developing when they're actually interacting with each other. Um, I don't outline strictly, you know, I don't, I don't do like a 50, 80 page outline um, and then try to adhere to that. I'll have sort of, little mileposts along the way. I want this kind of scene. I want that kind of scene. I want my character to, you know, be in distress or, um, you know, want to start a romance or whatever. Um, And it's not until I get to the writing that I can really see how those sorts of things are going to react. And sometimes I have to kind of change my vision of the book, depending on how, how that's panning out. And, you know, I, I find it fascinating. Your So your imagination is obviously able to work on a lot of levels all at once and be thinking about things and, and doing uh, and moving forward. How, as, a, as a writer, how stubborn are you? How, how long do you say, I, I'm going to make this work <laughs> before you sort of take a break and work on something else completely and, and really, you know, let it sit? Or does well, that depends, ever happen? It depends to you? on what you're talking about there in terms of going to make this work. If I am three quarters of the way through a novel and I get stuck, I'm pretty darn stubborn. If I've got, you know, 80,000 or 60,000 words invested, I'm probably going to find a way to get unstuck. If I'm two chapters in or I'm still at the, the thinking stage or the you know, loose sort of outlining stage and it just doesn't excite me, um, you know, then then I'll maybe let that go. I've got more ideas in my head than I can possibly write if I live to be 112. Um, so there's no point in, in trying to put a, you know, just kind of hammer yeah. something into shape if it, if it doesn't want to if it doesn't want to come together. Um, now I do, I do sometimes take characters out of one story that didn't work. Um, and move them to another book. Yeah. I have done that characters that I really got attached to, even if the book they were in didn't come together. I don't hold it against the individual characters. <laughs> I, I give them another chance sometimes in, in a different, different setting or a different universe. 
How long does it take you to write a book? Oh, very much depends on the book. Um, you know, a first person uh, cozy mystery in a series where I've already written the first couple. Um, you know, a draft might take me three to four months and then, you know, some revisions and I could probably have it in six months. Um, a standalone suspense novel that's going to run more like a hundred thousand pages, 90 to a hundred instead of 75 to 80. And it's going to have, you know, three points of view maybe, and potentially a shifting timeline or, you know, extended um, backstory sort of timeline things that can easily take nine months to a year. Um and that's and that's from when I sit down and start writing. That that's not counting whatever sort of thought processes went into it ahead of time. It intrigues me too that you write both, and uh, you know, I would imagine it lets your imagination um, flow in a different way to say, oh, this is the third book in a series or, oh, this is a standalone. So I'm completely inventing <laughs> everything and, and are going to focus on that. Do you, you know, do you find that three or four books into a series is sort of like uh, rest for you? Or is it not that it's ever easy to write a book, but you know, you already know the characters, you've already built the world, you already know the rules. It's like, okay, we're, like let's go <laughs> um it's it's rest in in some ways um it's it's harder in other ways because you want to keep it fresh mm -hmm. and and you also have to keep finding new ways to introduce the story in the world to readers who might or might not have read the first two or three books in the series so the challenge right. there is you don't want to bore the readers who have already been on this journey, but you don't want to lose the readers who are stepping into the journey, you know, midway through, as it were. Um, and it's also, I find that one of my problems, and I don't know if this is common among writers or not, most of my series are on the lighter end. The, the cozy mysteries are the ones that have been the series other than the, the trilogy. I find that, as I go farther into a series, they seem to get darker and more serious. I have to fight to keep the tone mm -hmm. the same as it was in the early books. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. Um, if it's just because I get to know the characters better, so they become deeper and more realistic. Um, or if it's... I. I, I don't know, but I, I do find that it becomes harder deeper into a series to maintain a humorous, lighter kind of tone in, in my cozy series. It's interesting. Do you, do you have that? Do you, do you experience that at all? <laughs> uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, as a reader and as a writer, but, uh, you know, I notice, I think that as you build characters and you, and they have a more fully developed life then you can't help but make life encroach on them and with our with amateur sleuths you know that keep finding dead bodies you need to make a decision as a writer do i keep them light or do i have to start to affect the characters right um i, I think that's a big part of it is how can you how can it not affect the character unless they're completely cartoon you know essentially right. if you have characters with depth and and intellectual um i don't know any sense of compassion or whatever how can it not in some way affect them so it's it's hard for me to to draw back from that and and keep it entertaining because that's what i wanted to do in a cozy mystery i want it to be entertaining and funny and i want it to be escapist so that the reading experience is something that takes people away from the ugliness of their day. I don't want to plunge them into some sort of deep existential crisis on the part of their, <laughs> you know, their their event organizer or book club sleuth. Um, 
and and take them into a dark place. So it's it's a hard balance sometimes. Uh, you know, uh, I want to talk some about the business side of being a writer, but you know, just because you also teach and and you you know you're a mentor to folks, what's the best piece of writing advice you've either gotten or that you feel like you can give somebody? Um, the the best. The best piece of advice I've gotten, I would kind of turn on its head a little bit. Everybody says, write what you know. And so frequently that gets interpreted as, huh, I was an aircraft controller. I should therefore write about being an aircraft controller. Or I'm the mother of twins. I should write about being the mother of twins. Or I was abused as a child. I should write about that. And I think what we know is... Being human is emotion and connection and relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we should feel bound when we hear that advice to write what you know, um, to, to make that experiential in the sense of what do you, you know, what, what have you done? You know, what things have you actually done and experienced that way? You can research for that sort of thing. You know, my ballroom dancing series, I'm not a ballroom dancer. My husband and I tried it out for, because I was going to start that series and my feet and ankles suffered dreadfully and we gave that one up. And so I just did lots and lots of interviews and lots of ballroom dance watching. Um, but I still know about uh, sadness of defeat in competition, you know, about the, the anticipation and the, the way you're, you get excited and keyed up before a competition. I know about, um, you know, a connection with a partner, both romantic and otherwise. And so I would, I would just say that when you hear that piece of advice, right, what you know, realize that the important things you know might be other than what you're thinking. They might be about about life and about um, how you relate to people, because you relate to people differently than anyone else does, and and that perspective will be appreciated by mm -hmm. readers. It's such great advice, and that perspective is what makes you and your books and your characters in Universal You unique. Right. Nobody else, we can all have the same one page treatment of the story that we're going to write. And we're all going to write, you know, a hundred people write a hundred different stories. Exactly. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Exactly. So the publishing journey, uh, you know, I think is a separate journey than the writing journey as far as how you equate success for yourself. And, you know, you can control your success as a writer and that you learn craft and you get better. But publishing, there's so many moving parts and you can control a few of them, but many of them you can't. Um, what, what did you expect your publishing journey would be like and, and what surprised you about it? Oh, boy. Um... Well, early on, when I retired from the Air Force, I sat down to write. That's why I retired. I knew that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to, to be a novelist. Um, and in my, in my naivete, let's just call it that, because that's a nicer word, um, I gave myself two years to write a novel and, and get it to contract with a publisher. Well, I, I did manage to write a novel. That, that, part, that part worked reasonably well. Um, but finding an agent and then a publisher was closer to a five-year journey um, for four and some odd months. Um, and that's working full-time as a writer. You know, at that point in my life, I was, other than, you know, child-rearing responsibilities, I was doing it full time, like a job, and it took me, you know, double the amount of time I had thought it would take me mm -hmm. to get to that point. Um, when I did get to that point, when I got the first contract, it was not with the book that I had actually written, which was also a surprise. It was a result of my agent talking to an editor, 
and the editor saying, hey, you know, we, we'd really like to see a cozy series about the women that work in a beauty shop in coastal Georgia. And my agent, you know, calling me and saying, hey, you think you'd like, you know, you think you could write about the women in a beauty shop in coastal Georgia? And I said, well, I was <laughs> born in Georgia, which is true. And I do get my hair cut, so I am sure, bless your sweetheart, that I can do this. So I sat down, I cranked out three chapters and and got a three-book deal on a book I had not yet written. Um, which the biggest lesson that taught me is don't write the sequel to a book you haven't sold. Because I, I then had two books uh, written in a series that we, we never sold. Um, so that's kind of how my career started. I did not start out intending to write cozy mysteries. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the mystery that I had written originally that, that got me, uh, my agent was, uh, you know, a little edgier. It was an air force intelligence officer, um, you know, standard murders, whatever that talk about, write What you know, right. Yeah. Um, so that was that that lesson, I think, is is flexibility. Realize that you're not going to go from point A to point B in a straight line in the publishing world, that you, you need to be open to the opportunities that come along um, and that no book you've ever written is wasted, whether it's ends up in print or not. I learned a lot writing you know, the, the numerous books that we'll never see that we'll never see print. Um, so that was, that was, that was part of the journey. Um, and I, I will say that I guess I was a little surprised by, um, sort of the promotional responsibilities, you know, the, mm -hmm. the Facebooks and the newsletters and the, uh, the tweeting and the whatever else that, yep. That comes with that. And I have, as I've, you know, gone further into this, my first book was published 10 years ago, um, 11 now, I guess. Um, you know, I've, I've come to define what's, what's workable for me in that world and, and what's not. Um, and then, you know, the idea that, okay, once you get a, a certain degree of success, and I've got 21 books under my belt, 18 of which are traditionally published, um, it's still no guarantee of ongoing contracts or ongoing um, sales of any kind. Uh, it's been a couple years since I've sold a book. I'm trying to switch genres, as I think we talked about earlier. I'm trying to um, write, I've written a couple of books, a couple of manuscripts in the women's fiction realm. Mm -hmm. And so far, not getting any traction there. So it feels almost like I'm back at the beginning 10 years ago, uh, starting over, which is probably a good lesson in humility. Not that any of us <laughs> like lessons in humility. No, we don't. But, but probably, probably healthy to get one every now and then. So now you have to sit down and think, okay, I have to sit down and think, am I committed enough to the topics and the genre of women's fiction is that you know important enough to me um or am i more interested in being published in which case you know i probably have a better chance if i go back to mystery where i've got you know some sort of name and reputation um, so or should i write my urban fantasy and start all over so You've been published for 10 years. 21 books is a lot of books. Um, and different, different types of books and different um, things that you're doing. You talked earlier a little bit about the marketing part. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that when you're trying to market all these different books and these different series and this different, you know, is it all about you, you know, do you have different marketing streams for everything? Because I think a lot of writers are surprised at how much they really need to figure out what marketing is. Yeah, um, I, I, I did have separate streams. I mean, I've also written under a couple of different names. And so 
early on, I had a Facebook page for each of my different names. Um, and that's just a recipe for total burnout and or psychosis. Um, I have, you know, I maintain a Facebook page under my own name. I don't do a lot there anymore. Um, I've, I've just made the personal decision for myself that I don't want to sell me and my private life and my children and my cute dog um, to sell books. And that's, I, I am not in any way saying that people who are comfortable on Facebook and putting whatever from recipes to cats to vacation photos on there, more power to you. I wish I, wish I could do that, um, but I don't. So my marketing, I've decided that what works for me, I like teaching. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I like to travel. I like to do webinars. I, you know, like to be in a room of people who think that books are important, that writing is important, that story is important. Um, so that gets me jazzed up. I can, I can market that way very easily. Um, I, I like to do a newsletter. You know, I like to share some things about my writing process and what I'm working on and, you know, maybe what's not working so much, you know, projects mm -hmm. that get abandoned. Oh, yeah, I promised you there was going to be this, but, you know, that kind of fizzled out. Um, I'm happy to do that. Uh, those, those sorts of things. I just, I'm just not a social media person. Oh, and, and I have a web page. You know, I, I do keep a pretty robust web page. Um, and, you know, I hope people can find me there. And if they write to me, you know, I respond to all the emails I get through my web page. I'm happy to, to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so those are, those are the ways that I feel comfortable with mm -hmm. the marketing and promotion process. You know, the, I guess the good thing about the current current world, the current publishing environment is that I think there are all sorts of avenues that fit different personalities and different needs. And if you're into tweeting 112 times a day, woohoo, you know, have, have I got an opportunity for you? Or are you like Instagram and taking photos and or Snapchat or any, any of these things? Um, you know, I think there's a a lot to be said there. And if you're relatively shy and you don't want to get out in public and speak at book events or do writers conferences, keynote speeches or teach or anything like that, then you got lots of different options out there. So I think you just have to kind of come to terms with what works for you, what doesn't eat too much into either your writing time or your writing, you know, mental space. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly when I started, and I don't know if this is a common problem or not, I just tried to do it all. Tried to do, you yeah. know, every sort of marketing promotional opportunity there was out there. You know, let's go speak to book groups. Let's go teach. Let's do Facebook and, and tweeting and, you know, everything else under the sun. Um, and that's, that, that just didn't work for me. So I, I have kind of whittled it down to what works for me and and not to say that something new won't come along that I want to try, but at the moment, that's that's where I am. Well, I think the advice that I'm hearing, which is so great, is to to do you need to market, but do things in your comfort zone. Um, but also, you know, when you talk to marketing people, you can control your own website and you own your email list. Social media is are, are places we rent, yep. um, and if they change the algorithms or if they change the rules, then you, you've lost anything you've built. Uh, and so, I think that that having that foundation that is stuff that you control makes a tremendous amount of sense. Um, yeah, yeah, you are you are absolutely right there. That is the same advice that I got from um, a guy that I worked with in terms of getting set up with with my website and social media, you know, I said, should I put more time in, you know, here or there? And he's, he said exactly what you said, you know, you own your website, you own your newsletter list, Facebook and, 
and Twitter and Instagram can change their rules instantaneously, you know, which they've done, you know, we all know um, yeah. in terms of marketing and who can see your stuff. And absolutely. Um, yeah. So And it's never too early for people to start building, you know, to have a website, you can start with your blog, but to have a website people can visit and then morph it as you become, um, you know, you get published and and more things happen. Um, But, but, you know, building, you keep those take time. And so, um, you know, you, that's the business, that's the way, you know, you want to write, but when you want to get published, you got to, you got to figure out the business as well. Absolutely. And hopefully you have good advisors along the way, you know, mentors, or if you've signed with an agent before you get a contract, hopefully you know, that person will help you. And if you're going to writers' conferences, um, fan conventions, hopefully you're 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 being able to capitalize on the experience of of other people who've been there, done that. Yeah. Um, and you can pick and choose from what they have to say, the things that worked for them and the things that didn't, uh, and, and build a, a marketing promotion kind of plan or concept that fits your books and your personality and don't feel compelled to try to do it all. What I love when I'm talking to you and, you know, we're looking at each other on Zoom, but people can only hear us, but you have enthusiasm for writing and, and you know, for for the, the joy of creation, uh, which is such an important part of how you stay nimble and also how you stay on the path, mm-hmm. right? How do you keep yourself excited about this? Well, I, th- I think you're right. And that's the... The realization that I do love writing, I've I've kind of had to come back to that, you know, after sort of a a little dip in my enthusiasm where I got a little too caught up in the publishing end and lost sight of the fact that it's the writing that gives me joy. Mm-hmm. Um, do I get joy from a certain number of sales or a certain kind of review? I mean, very maybe a very ephemeral happiness. But, you know, if what I were after were money, um, I could go out in the marketplace and and get any number of other kind of jobs to include probably Walmart greeter where I would be making more money. Uh, so it's it's not about the money. It's not about. Um, I, that that's that's disingenuous. It's not that it's not about the money entirely because I'm too tied to my cultural uh training to to just say oh no i will just write for the joy of it and offer up my books for free to people um i have not done that i still want to know that my labor is worth something in the marketplace so to that extent it's about the money but really my joy comes from from writing and from creating and that's that's why i'm it's why I switch a genre sometimes, you know, to keep it, to keep my mind working in new ways. And, you know, it's a very different process to create a new world than it is yeah. to come up with a mystery. You know, mystery is mm-hmm. kind of like a puzzle that you fit together and, and, you know, you leave the little breadcrumbs of clues for people. And it's, it's an intellectual exercise in a lot of ways, whereas a new world is just this completely open, creative process. Huh, a magic system. What could I do with a magic system? And yeah. wow, you know, werewolves are fun, but hmm, you know, could I come up with some other kind of creature that would be interesting and and new and not um, not common in the urban fantasy environment? And if I were going to do that, would I base it on some mythology that already exists, or can I come up with my own mythology? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> and that's that's what that's what keeps it fun, and it's yeah. also fun to you know try new things with narration. Like I said, I did the present tense with the one character, or you know the present tense with the the YA trilogy, um, which just gave my writing every day more of a sense of immediacy which mm-hmm. seemed to fit with the action adventure kind of tone of those books. 
Um, I've done, you know, multiple characters. Can I put myself in the heads of, of different characters in the same book? And how does that look? And, and what does that do for the story? Um, all those things, you know, there's just infinite possibilities with writing, even if you're following the rules um, and not going, you know, whoo, way out in the experimental realms. Right. Um, just so many possibilities. And it's, it's just fun to explore them. And that's what, that's what keeps me excited about writing. And now I always run into somebody, you know, at a conference or, or something who's just getting started and, and they're so excited about writing and, and the possibilities of it. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that there's any moment that's, that's more gratifying, more elating for a writer than, than when you sell that first book. You know, when right. you've, you've had that, that time where you have none of the pressures of publishing uh, weighing down on you. You don't have a deadline for the next book. You don't have expectations relative to social media and marketing. You don't have editors or agents leaning over your shoulder to suggest that, well, you know, maybe if you did this with the character, it would make her more relatable to this audience or whatever. Um, so if anybody's out there listening and you're working on your first book, just enjoy the hell out of it because it's it's just the most precious time in, yeah. in a writer's life, I think. Well, and I love everything you're talking about. Uh, you know, I used to work in theater and I talked to people there about this, that we're lifelong apprentices when you take on a creative craft. Um, you you can teach and, you know, you, you can master to a degree, but you're never done learning or evolving oh, or no. changing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about your journey with Sisters in Crime. Uh, when did you join the organization? Oh, I could not give you a year. You would have to go back and look at membership records. Um, I would guess somewhere around 20, 2009, 2010, yeah. you know, maybe about when my, maybe a little earlier, um, got my first publishing contract in 09. So maybe 08, 09, somewhere in there when I became aware that it existed, um, joined to, there wasn't a Colorado chapter at that time, um, just joined to be in touch with people who were writing mysteries, um, right. and specifically women who were writing mysteries. And you were president in, and I, don't have this in front of me, but you were president in the teens, um, <laughs> 20, what years? I'd say 20, 13, 14, maybe. Yeah. Something 14, like the 14, 14, 15, somewhere in there. I had a long tenure. I had like 13, 15 months because the, the voucher cons fell fairly far apart. Uh, yeah, I, I spoke I with Sherry Harris about that and she had the same thing. Yeah. The bylaws are now changed. So it's October 1st to September 30th. So it doesn't rely on voucher cons. Um, but I, you know, tell me about your tenure as president and, and you know, what, what brought you into the leadership and also, you know, how you felt about, um, you know, your tenure and, and what you what you wanted to accomplish. Um, what, what brought me into it, I was sitting at the, the sink breakfast, I think it was, um, at a at a voucher con, and the president at the time or or somebody on the board of directors mentioned that their the secretary was um retiring, moving on, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of out of cycle, more more or less. And I went up, I think to I don't want to say Roberta is asleep or somebody. I'm not, I'm not even sure who it was after the meeting. I said, Hey, you know, I'd be happy to, to fill out the rest of that term or whatever. And so they, you know, eventually I got, I got word that yes, they would like me to do that. So I joined the board as, as the secretary. And then, you know, I guess the following year was asked if I would serve as vice president, which at the time, I'm not sure how the bylaws read now, but at the time was sort of the conduit to, to president. Yep. You did a year as, as vice president, kind of learning the ropes and, and getting, 
up to speed and knowing what was going on. And then you did a year as president. And so that's sort of how my journey um, with Sisters in Crime went. Um, there was there was a fair amount of going on. I kind of look at at um, the year, you know, 15 months that I was president. I really think it was sort of a right on the cusp of, of sort of a change in philosophy, a change in direction, sisters and crime to some extent. And not that I was in any way a driver of that. Um, and I think we as a, as a group sort of started leaning more toward the realization that um, it, women of color were, were underrepresented and uh, people with uh, different life experiences and um, various other factors. It wasn't just about women, that there were more, more subcategories that we needed to be um, sensitive to and aware of and support. And, you know, obviously the, the, the organization has gone a long way toward, toward helping women from various communities find their voice and find find a place in publishing. And I I think that's splendid. So I I was kind of on the 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 last edge of what I think of as the the initial sisters in crime maybe where where it was just about women in general. Um I am phrasing this very badly, I'm sure. But no, I, I, I I'm very, was, I'm very glad to see the kind of the the greater sensitivity toward toward different communities of women. Yeah, I guess I, I we, uh, well, the strategic plan in 2012, I think, focused and said we need to focus on this, and then there was time, you know, time when we're figuring that out, and uh, we're all still figuring that out. Nobody's perfect, and Sisters in Crime isn't. Um, but opening the tent, and and so you know, uh, to to writers, and and making sure that people know that they're welcome, no matter who they are, and no matter where they are in their publishing journey. Well, but, but um, more that, than opening the tent, I mean, I think Sisters in Crime has done good work, like the Eleanor Taylor Bland award and and various other things of specifically trying to give a leg up yeah. um, more more than just opening the door but really putting concerted effort into giving a a leg up to people whose voices haven't necessarily been broadcast right or haven't had the same opportunities yep. um so, you know, SYNC is looking at 35 and, you know, we're in our 35th year. Um, what, what would you be your dreams for the organization moving forward? Well, I would hope we would continue to grow. I, I will confess I am not familiar with what the, the numbers are right now in terms of membership, but I would... I would hope we would continue to grow, not just with women, but with men as well. Um, I would love to see potentially a more international flavor to mm -hmm. the organization somewhere down the road that um, it, we could get enough visibility um, or have enough to offer that that women from other countries, other nationalities would maybe be drawn, drawn to us because I think that would offer just amazing opportunities for conversation and exchange about mystery writing and crime fiction and um, you know how that's colored by uh, the perceptions from your different cultures and your different growing up experiences and, and the whole gamut there. Um, I would love to see more progress made on uh, how we stop pirating of mm -hmm. all writers' work, not just women, but if Sisters in Crime could be a voice on, on that front. You know, I have Google track my name and I get, you know, probably six notifications a week of various of my books that are being pirated and downloaded for free at a variety of fly-by-night 
websites. I think that's an, uh, something that's important to, to many authors. Um, yeah, and just to continue being a community that supports, that supports women who, who write, whether it's mystery or, or not mystery. Um, that think, you know, just back to the idea of story. And I know from your, you know, your theater background that story and the telling of stories is important to you. Um, and I imagine to, to most people who would be interested in sisters and crime and to continue to promote that and, and to continue to, to think it's important. Um, and that even though our modes of communicating story might change, we, are we going to have paper books in the future? Is it all going to be digital? Is it going to, you know, who knows? Is it all going to be audio? Whatever it might be, that the stories themselves are are still important, and we want to encourage as many people as possible to write them. And this could be a whole other conversation about how the industry, um, you know, and then the pay and that sort of thing. You know, what what an author makes. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much siphons out a lot of voices um but to continue to to encourage and support as many people as possible to tell stories uh, whether whether their own or you know completely made up um because there's something of of our own experience in in every story we tell that's great well, you'll be happy to know, Laura, as we're we're winding this up, that um, the board has approved a UK and European chapter of oh. Sisters in Crime. So, um, yay! <laughs> um, and there, there's some wonderful volunteers who are determined to make that work over there. So we're, we're really happy to have them as part of Sisters in Crime, and grateful to you for you know your service and your time with the organization. Oh, it was. It was an honor. It truly was. It was a privilege. So, uh, you know, as we're winding up, what's next for you? What's, you know, what are you reading? What's, you know, how can we, uh, we'll put all your contact information in the show notes so that people can sign up for your newsletter and and follow what you're doing um, and get a real sense of the breadth of of the work that you do. What am I reading? I am... um... Currently working my way through J.D. Kirk's Scottish Detective novels. I just discovered those, I don't know, two months ago maybe, and I'm through book eight, and I'm very sad because I think there are only 12 at the moment, so I've been trying to ration myself on them because I don't want to read them all at once. Um, I'm also doing about the same thing with uh, Ilona Andrews' Kate Daniels' novels. Those are... Uh, urban fantasy for those not familiar with her there's pretty strong mystery elements in all of them too so I think a lot of mystery readers would probably enjoy those I'm on book five or six I think there's nine of those I just started those maybe two weeks ago um wow (laughs) and uh I'm I read the most recent my most recent uh Kate Daniels novel in the middle of reading the fourth book in uh, Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. I'm reading Rhythm of War, but those are so long. I'm 20% through, which means I've probably only read 600 pages. Um, it's not quite, wow. not quite, not quite that bad, but they tend to run 13, 1400 pages. And so I, I took a little break and I read the, the most recent Kate Daniels, but I finished that today at lunch. So now it's back to Brandon Sanderson. And then um, next up is a is a book called um, on my on my you know to be read pile, Suburban Dicks, which I have heard some good things about, but uh, have not yet not yet read. So I gotta finish my Stormlight Archives, uh, wait for Mr. Sanderson to put out the fifth one in the series, and then I'll I'll get on suburban dicks so those are those are what i'm reading and excited about at the moment well you're obviously a voracious reader as well as a prolific writer because that's a lot to have um, read but um thanks for adding to people's piles um of books and thanks for being on the podcast well thank you so much julie i had a wonderful time it was great to catch up with you 
being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.